practice makes Good afternoon, everyone. This is Practice Makes Practice, the podcast, where we get together with other design practitioners to get a sense of how they approach their design practice and their views on the world. Today, we have Katie Gwynn Saxon spending some time with us. She is an Atlanta-based designer who I would say is probably still emerging. Her main practice is KGS Design, Welcome, Katie. Thank you for being here. How are you? Yeah, well, thanks. It's my pleasure to be here, and I'm doing great. Awesome, awesome. I would love to start asking you, you know, how would you define your practice, and what are you up to right now? Uh, So I am freelance right now. I've been freelance for um, basically all of quarantine. I... So I was, well, I started freelance in school, actually. So um, a bit of a timeline is I graduated from portfolio school, which is how we met Mm -hmm. um, in September 2019, and then um, immediately got an internship that I loved and with Adult Swim. And then my last few weeks of that ended up being like seven months (laughs) of internship, which was just enough, uh, almost too much, but I actually felt like I was growing throughout the um, extent of that. And that led into a freelance role with them. And I'm really enjoying that. So that's one thing I have sort of a range of projects and clients I work with. Mm. And, um, you know, I'm really sort of like, uh, in in all the good ways and bad ways, I'm sort of like floating through this <laughs> period of my career. And I'm really looking forward to what comes next. I'm not really sure what that is. But um, I have something else called 3PM with Alex Kirsch, who I believe was on the podcast a week or two ago. Mm-hmm. And um, that's really fun. I'm like happy to talk about that later. I don't consider that part of KGS design, but it's uh, that's a weird animal. And I think we're still <laughs> figuring it out. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I'm going to be honest. I don't know what it is. I don't think he does either. We, we call it this or that. And I kind of like it that way too. So it sounds like 3PM is giving you pure freedom to explore and experiment and and make it up as you go. Why did you feel the need to separate that from KGS? That's an interesting question. I don't know. I, I maybe I made that distinction too clear and that might be false. It's um it's not entirely KGS. I do represent it a bit on my portfolio site. So I guess maybe it kind of is because that one feels so um, personal, not professional. (laughs) So again, I'm fascinated. Why separate personal from professional? Well, that's an interesting question. (laughs) (laughs) I I have all kinds of contradictions uh, in this conversation, I can tell. Um, Good question, because I think one thing that I am challenged by with working from home is that there is there pretty much feels like there's no difference (laughs) so like um i have this lifelong quest of finding balance in one form or another and i uh rarely achieve it (laughs) Mm. and i think another part of me loves that i I love sort of living um in this chaotic way which you know dysfunctions maybe but (laughs) Mm, but i find that um yeah so 
working from home is crazy and I, there really is no difference between my work and personal life because I'm here in my home and I as a person personally have poor boundaries and so that bleeds over into my like work life balance. And so in that way, 3 p.m. maybe is kind of where I am right now <laughs> with, with um, you know, a half of 3 p.m., I guess, because obviously Alex is the other half. And I think he might be struggling with similar things, too. Um, struggling is kind of a harsh word, but maybe he's challenged by this as well. I think the balance of work life and like what is work, what is life, um, mm. like how much discipline, how many boundaries, what kind of structure is working creatively. Yeah. So... I think for designers and, you know, maybe for other people, but I do think this is a always kind of a little bit of a conundrum because, you know, and we could get into this side of it. It's like when you become very, very attracted to design as like a way, I guess, a way to have a profession or just as a um, like a possibility of something you can dabble in that doesn't feel initially like a professional interest if we're honest with ourselves, right? It's like other things draw you to wanting to design, but then we decide to silo it into like a professional pursuit, which puts in this weird divisive, like, well, how much of it is, is it part of my life and just me, or is it something that I do for money and do for work? And that stays very tightly packaged Monday through Friday, <laughs> you know, not, whatever, <laughs> you know, and like, how does that affect um, work, inspiration, you know, and if Alex is your, the person that you're partnering with on 3pm, you know, and he's feeling the same way, I mean, like, do you think this is kind of like a, a bigger issue? how about that for 20 questions (laughs) (laughs) i might need you to break that down a little bit but i um was thinking how i mean you know alex and you know me so you can imagine what our conversations are like because Mm -hmm. (laughs) i would like to record more of them um at least for posterity's sake because it's pretty funny and like both of us are so uh can be sort of like so spacey in different ways Mm -hmm. um and then if you follow like my, like, I often get really caffeinated before I talk to him, which I think he hates because I just go, and he's like, can you just send me some pictures or something? <laughs> I'll go for a rant. I'll go for a rant and he'll wonder like what I'm saying from, from the first word. So it's pretty great. I actually really love our collaboration. You're back and forth. Um, yeah. I really do. Yeah. He's, he, I really, really love working with him. So it's been great. Um, okay. What was your question? I really touch it. <laughs> uh, let me see if I can break it down a little better. Um, I think the first question that's just like top level, where did you get the assumption to separate design as something you do for work and then Katie? Mm, okay. I think because um, I don't really... I'm with you. I don't believe there sh- needs to be, um, but I do need more structure in my life. And I think that I have a habit of thinking of it that way because I'm trying to encourage myself to develop like more discipline in terms of like how I structure my time probably. Mm-hmm. But um, like philosophically, I am a designer because of my interests, not because of any professional reason. And I'm trying to make my interests earn me money in a sense. You know, there's a, there's a necessity of having like 
something that you do that earns you money, right? And make a living. Right. And I figured might as well be that because I've always really enjoyed, I enjoy a life where I work a lot. Like I really enjoy working. And so, and, and I've assumed that I'm going to be spending a lot of my time working and I'm, I'm happy to do that. So the thing that I'm doing needs to be something that's fulfilling me personally. And, and I mean, there's nothing that we do in this life that isn't done for non-personal reasons or a few, few things. There's always a personal benefit element, right? Absolutely. Um, and there's a professional aspect to designing, obviously, um, even at like a, a, the level of a definition is like, I do things and I get paid for it. But um, the truth is I do a lot of things that I don't get paid for and they look exactly like the things that I do that I do get paid for. And it's all because that's the way I like to express or seek to know myself better in the world. Interesting. And how is work bringing you happiness right now? Um, How is the work you're doing adding to that? I really like um, collaboration. I like being part of a team. I, I really like being a leader too. And I'm not afraid of being on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, So that makes uh, being freelance and working from home uh, possible. But I think ultimately I really would prefer to show up somewhere every day and say hi to a team and like get, I I like the structure of that. I think I perform better within highly structured environments where I'm expected and accountable to other people in as many ways as possible. (laughs) Sure. Um, So, you know, I work alone and I work at home most of the time or physically alone rather. Obviously, like I keep saying, Alex and I work together a lot and I I work in teams with my freelance, Um, but they don't know if I'm dressed for work that day. Right. And they don't know, um, you know, my computer is in one room of my house. I can always be there to answer emails on time. I'm always on time for work in that sense. But I really would prefer to be stuck in commuter traffic in a way and like arrive um, and put on a little bit more makeup, like (laughs) wear clothes that are less comfortable than like sweatpants or something, you know? Yeah. I feel like that's why professional clothes are necessary in a sense, because uh, um you work harder when you're uncomfortable. <laughs> Do you think so? Wow. I guess. <laughs> in a sense, in a sense. <laughs> oh my gosh. Because like a, a like a starched like um, shirt and a pencil skirt always made me more prof- like more. Um, um, it always made me work harder. <laughs> wow, that's really interesting. So, do you think that in effect is uh, that's right there like a great great power of design? So that's like a, des- right. a designed uniform changes your psychological trajectory. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like- yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, I spent a lot of years dressing and like, this is very odd, but when I was a, um, before I became a designer, I was a teacher and teaching all ages, but most of my teaching experience was with young children. Mm-hmm. I'm talking like, I'm talking like, um, kindergarten you know mm-hmm. and like sitting in tiny chairs where you're like your knees are constantly like banging into like baby tables and stuff but in these scenarios when i'm like you know like wiping snot off of a baby's face and stuff like i mean all of the above i had to wear a suit to work every day Whoa. and i'm talking like extremely tightly tailored suits with jacket and skirt and heels if if I could bear it. And I'm and so anyway. Oh my gosh. So that's a really weird reference point. Cause that was one instance in really, in which I really, I would be more professional if I had more flexible clothing, but <laughs> that was just a weird cultural thing though. Weird to me, I guess. Since you brought up what you were doing before, 
um, you started to identify design as something that felt like a calling. Um, yeah, yeah, what was that bridge? Like what brought you from um, teaching to into mm-hmm. design? What happened? Uh, communication. Mm. So I, I went to, so I've only taught in, in China, a little bit in Italy too, but I've only taught as um, uh, like a, a foreign language teacher abroad. I haven't done it in the United States. And that's unique. That's not just, that's very different than teaching English or even ESL in your home country. And um, I went there. I, I taught because I knew that I could and I got certified and I was, I knew I could be a good enough teacher to make it work, but I wasn't there to be a teacher really. I was, um, I ended up learning so much through teaching and it actually really helped me finally realize that I wanted to pursue design. But um, I went there because I, I wanted to learn Chinese and because I thought I was going to be an interpreter because at that point, the, the latest thing I identified that was fulfilling was um, learning foreign languages. And I, I, when I study them, I pick them up really quickly. Like I'm a really good learner of foreign languages. Um, I'm also good at forgetting them entirely. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone, everyone is right. But, um, and I loved it. I loved like grammar, like (laughs) I love patterns and I loved connecting with people and like language is an insight into culture and other human experiences. And you really can't get anywhere unless you really have that access point. So I was really motivated to learn so I could learn. I mean, you learn so much through learning the grammar of a language or what vocabulary they have. If there's a single word for um, something that we don't have a word for in English, you have to sort of describe in a sentence. That's fascinating to me. But anyway, so Mm -hmm. I started tuning into my like fascination with like invisible structures and meaning like, like philosophies of cultures or like the paradigm of a culture and communicating and like crossing bridges through language and through culture there and through that experience and that has been a through line through all of my choices um and i finally figured that out when i think my mom my mom was the first one to say oh it's pretty obvious you like you like this and um that that sort of like motivates my interest in design graphic design as well and illustration too. I mean, everything that I've had an interest in on the surface has all really been about a pursuit of design at its core sense. Which I mean, anything that's manifested is is a design. You know, there's yeah. you can't not have it. I absolutely agree. I <clears throat> I often talk about how when I strip everything back, I think to be a human, you're ultimately also just a designer because we're, right. we cannot um, we cannot be free of desire. You know, if you are a human, you have desire. And mm-hmm. when you have desire, you introduce um, intention into your life. So it could be very simple, whatever that intention is, or it could be grandiose, you know. But once you go about the process of trying to manifest that intention, you're designing basically, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, right. so how do you see that, that notion of design correlate with the notion of design as communication? Mm. Well, what is communication about? I, th- I think ultimately what it comes back to is um, the invisible things. Like my, my main quest in life or my ultimate quest in life is to see the invisible um, frameworks to see connections 
and um, mm. verbal communication or all types of communications, including design, are tools for connecting ideas or human experiences. And um, this like quest to see these invisible things, which in a sense is like super, I mean, it's basically like, what's the meaning of life? Yeah, <laughs> like, sure. You know, can I pull back the veil, which is like really cliche and corny, but it's, it's, I mean, I think that's what everyone is after. And I, I, I don't think anyone will pretend that that isn't really what interests them, you know? Um, but all the things that, that I really like, dance, music, uh, theater, language, travel, biology, that was my major in college for most of the part. I took like a really hard left at the very end, but um, <laughs> it's okay. Outer, <laughs> outer <laughs> yeah, it's like at the very end of college, I was like, man, uh, screw science. What I really want to do is learn Russian. <laughs> like, That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm a, I'm a quarter Russian, maybe Lithuanian. I'll just say Soviet. <laughs> oh, and wow. uh, that's all we really know. And then, um, and that's like the, the most mysterious part of, or I used to be of like my um, ethnic makeup. And um, anyway, but that's a side combo, but like uh, all the things, my fascination with aliens and outer space, intimacy, marriage, drugs, death, desperation, coffee, and I mean, like literally everything, it's all just about the invisible connections. Definitely. And as a graphic designer, I get to create invisible connections. And I really like that, you know, that's, um, it's a really fun way to flex your creativity is to make codes. I mean, like, <laughs> what do you do as a designer? You're, you're problem solving. Um, if you're really, really great, you are truly problem solving, but, um, uh, maybe you're starting a conversation, you're, um, you're inventing codes, you're testing the code, see if others are getting it. You're experimenting, you're researching, you're just, you're looking for connections which are invisible and you're working with invisible things like ideas and then you're representing them um, with visible things. Um, yeah. Oh, the other thing too, I want to go back really quickly sure. to this teaching to design. One thing about that part of my life when I was teaching is that um, I was living in a different country and observing as an outsider, infrastructure, and I mean, all kinds of things. Like you're examining something that is not yours, that you're trying to exist within. And being an outsider was a great gift. It's, it was very hard for me. And I think an American living in mainland China is a very sort of challenging experience. I would imagine the, you know, the, the reverse of that would be just as challenging. Um, and I've always really felt at home where I've lived at home in my home country. So that was, that was a great experience for me, but um, it allowed me to observe things that I took for granted at home. Like, why in the world would you set up your banks like this? Or like, why does this road go this way? Clearly, this is a, that, that was a bad choice. <laughs> it tends to come out more as a critique. Um, I observed all kinds of things that I really appreciated too, that I wish we were more present in our culture um, or, or society rather. But um, yeah, and that sort of, and also as a teacher, I worked at an international baccalaureate school at the very end, my, my last year there. Yeah. And you, I had to create all these like centers for the kids. So they were learning English and it was an English only environment during my class time. And I had to create design activities for them that had um, an, an educational goal. Um, and I wasn't allowed to explain to them. They had to want to go to these centers 
themselves and be able to figure out what the activities were without my help and then complete them successfully, which was an incredible um, challenge for a teacher. But then I realized like, oh man, I really love doing this. And that's, that's designing. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. And how did it come down to maybe like graphic design or do you feel that graphic design might be like at the current moment um the expression of your practice but you can see yourself Mm -hmm. thinking beyond graphic and and also sorry to throw like many questions but how would you actually define specifically graphic design right well that's that's interesting too so i think more the latter that graphic design is my current expression of like a the same journey Mm -hmm. um why graphic design i actually started portfolio school in the art direction program as you remember Mm -hmm. and and very quickly i realized that my favorite class you know so we have overlapping curriculum at the very beginning which are all the design classes so i i really enjoyed my design classes the most and really didn't enjoy the advertising classes. I knew that that was not really the world I, I wanted to exist in primarily. That's not to say that I don't do, I don't do design in, in the service of advertising or, or all of that, but my, it, it was just such a different mindset, especially in that environment. And I, it was so clear to me that I really, really resonated with just the graphic design part. I had to learn what it meant to be a professional graphic designer versus professional art director in in advertising, you know, I just didn't know at the beginning, but it was very apparent right away that the things that I thought I was going to like in art direction were actually the things I just liked about being a graphic designer. And those were like the research. I like sort of the, um, the academic sort of edge. And I think primarily it was just like the, you were my teacher. And I think that you were asking me to think about things that I already really liked thinking about and encouraging me to do that. And that led, I could do that as a career perhaps. And I was like, well, that's pretty great. I already like thinking about these things. Um, I like thinking about the future and what I can do in the future and what our society looks like in the future, you know, and there's a, there's a really important place for graphic design and creating the future. Oh, talk about that a little bit more then. Cause would you consider yourself first off a futurist? Uh, casu- casually, but I'm not educated as uh, I, I, casually only. You dabble in it. <laughs> I dabble. I am not a really a few, like I'm not going to. I'm not educated or articulate enough at this point on that subject matter to call myself a futurist. But I, I'm always. It, I always perk up my ears when someone talks future. You know. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um... And I, I feel like we're shooting darts and pins in many conversational directions, but it does pique my interest. You know, where do you, where do you see the future of graphic design evolving? Mm. Um, what purposes do you think it'll grow to serve? And, you know, what, what excites you about it too? Like what's fun for you in, in the potential of the future for graphic designers? Hmm. I don't, well, it's not like an industry that goes in and out of vogue. Like all forms of communication, it always will exist. I think the mediums will evolve, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. there's less, there's less print, more digital. And that's the, the reasons are obvious. Um, but in a graphic design, it's, 
is there to make you think it's there to amplify it's there to represent um it's just a, it's just a way of having a voice like any other it, to me graphic design is the same as um the arts in this regard it's the same as media in a sense too i mean there's obviously if you know the history of graphic design like propaganda posters are pretty fascinating for a lot of reasons mm -hmm. it's just a, it's a tool that won't go away because it's a it's a tool that still works for humans if they want to communicate and it's uh, the skill set, I think, is what defines you as a graphic designer. But I don't think the pursuit is uh, uh, different or um, separate from other pursuits that require a voice or that are defined by communication. Um, so the future of graphic design, I think, is the mediums will change. That's it. But I mean, it's still dealing with um, color and codes and uh and obviously type and words I, so it's more of a question of like here's here's something that interests me maybe this is like a, a way for me to say it mm. there are all these studies on language and how they affect or are affected by perceptions and you know i, I think I, I remember hearing something one time that like if a word in a language exists then you are obligated to think about this this concept but you are not um you're not unable to imagine different hmm. concepts you know what i mean it's just sort of like base layer you will always consider um this thing if a word doesn't exist it's not that you're not able to uh understand it if uh if someone brings it to you in a different language it's Am I making any sense? I think I'm. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm getting lost. No, you're not. Sauce a bit. You, you can get lost in sauce. <laughs> so, are you? So, in a sense, are you trying to establish that at the end of the day, a word is effectively just interpretive code? It's representative mm -hmm. of something, and that it can be morphed based on how it's presented. Yes. 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 So, the way you present words and language. Um, and this is where like graphic design comes in, can change your perceptions of the world around you. Mm. And so if graphic design is meant to be influential, so maybe sometimes it's a mirror mm. and it and it can help you see things like you're right. This is, this is how it is. Maybe we don't acknowledge it, but this is really kind of true in our community, or it can help you to consider something that you thought was familiar. That was something as something else entirely. Mm -hmm and it can make you more inquisitive um it's it's a manipulation of the mind for better or worse and that's really what we're all dealing with right it's it's i think so perception perception of what we're experiencing and trying to connect over it like is this also your experience or are we or are we different right are we the same or are we different right Ooh, and i think at any given moment that we can opt to be either and that's also very interesting that the, the yeah. human being can bop between, you know, like a self identity and then sort of a collective identity at any moment. Mm -hmm. That's really fascinating. Yeah. And it is. And like graphic design can actually address both, which is also interesting. It kind of like yeah. parlay is like a parallel to, um, how we opt to communicate. So that's pretty cool. Like in your practice, in your process, how you've talked about some really nice things here about how you really consider the power of communication and language. 
uh, and perception as an intercorrelated uh, code. <laughs> and then mm -hmm. how that hops over into graphic design, which is uh, the way I'm kind of getting it is that largely it's the use of symbolic visual that does the same thing yes. you're doing verbally. Um, less, yeah. where does emotion come into your practice? And how are, do you, do you design more as an intuitive designer or do you like to be very logical or, or do you like to ping pong between both? Uh, I do both. If it depends, um, who my client is, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> what? What'd you say? Like, it depends on who my client uh, is, if I'm going to be honest sure. or how, who I'm working with. So if I, um, if, and you know, people like to work different ways, uh, and there are different sizes of organizations and different processes officially that people like you to move through. So for example, if my client is bigger and they're asking for multiple check-ins and like a very, maybe the, the project is a little bigger and they're asking for really structured phases, then I develop a code on the front end because I know that also I have to, um, I'll, I'll, I'll probably be more diligent about developing a code that I can speak to very, very logically. And because I'm sensing from them that they want something really, really structured and maybe less intuitive. And if I have a, a different client who's asking for a, a personal project or something like that, then I'm sort of veering into a, more of an intuitive, like uh, maybe like a fine arts sort of <laughs> area in a sense. And it's maybe less, uh, less graphic design and more, um, you know, I've been doing a lot of illustration lately, which is hmm. not, it hasn't really, it's not, that is not graphic design always, you know, yeah. those are two, those are two, that, there's a Venn diagram for all this and it's very confusing for, <laughs> for everyone. <laughs> um, yeah. So it depends, it depends on uh, who I'm working with and what they're asking of me. And when I'm by myself, I, I go back and forth too. Sometimes I really get a lot of kicks out of, um, making a really sweet code and then other times I just want to figure it out after maybe, maybe you know take the wrong approach if you know what I'm saying and like figure it out after I've made it <laughs> definitely um and you don't find you find that that variety for you is sort of like um keeps you in like a, a position of like being present and really being aware of what how you're going to approach this project like that's just something you're like i have this range like i don't it's not a yes. same process every time yeah yeah i have a default too where i where, um i have a default where i like to like make rules so that we can follow them because i like patterns and i like rules and i like structure even though i still don't give it to myself <laughs> but i do like it and so i have a default um, especially when I'm working with other people where I jump to like, Hey, so can we figure out some rules? And that's like a big turnoff for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, it and, is, yeah. and, <laughs> and also it doesn't work for me. And I've done that enough times now that I have stopped doing that by default as, as much, mm -hmm. or at least I catch myself right away. Yeah. Um, cause I find it comfortable. I like it's, um, I find a little comfort there, but it doesn't really work for me. So, uh, looser is better and variety is the spice of life. <laughs> Oh God, I'm going to like throw up. <laughs> yeah, you're making me nauseous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but 
the variety that I, I figured out early on that I can have a lot of variety. It, one, one very like conscious reason why I gravitated towards design even before I knew that it was going to be, you know, at, at one point I was like, maybe I'm going to be a web designer, which I, I laugh at that now, but um, just, you know, the idea, this, this range of design careers um, and including art direction, all this was that I knew that there was a, a range. Mm -hmm. I could work in so many different industries and my day to day could be different and I could work solo. I could work with a team. I could work here, there, remote, in an office. I mean, there's so many options. True, true. Um, and I love that. I really, really love that. That was like a very, when I, when I realized that, that was um, kind of every, everything to me. That's almost as um, what I do on a day to day basis and the okay. element that I know, like this aspect of this career that I know that I could keep evolving it or and have a lot of variety those are equally balanced in my book for pursuing this career that's fantastic you mentioned that you like to work with code setting up code um for anybody listening how would you help them understand what you mean by that a little bit hmm. oh got you yeah well humans uh, recognize patterns and there's there are cultural cues and there are psychological cues so like color affects perception. If something's in red, if words are in red um, or if words are in all caps, you're going to assume this or that. I mean, there are conventions set up in culture that you understand. So it, it's all very culturally re relevant. There are a few things that I think are universal to all humans. And um, and most of the, the, the code that we work with is uh, for a specific community that you're intending to speak to. So the way you represent words, how big the words are, whether again, if they're in all caps, you know, if you're texting with someone and they're typing in all caps that they must be angry or enthusiastic <laughs> or something's True. going on. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why if you, if you type in all caps by accident, you might follow up with like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not angry. I promise. Just like, you know, <laughs> yeah. Caps lock was on, you know, so we all know these codes. We may not know them consciously, but being a graphic designer means that you are aware of them and you tap into them and you use them to convey a, a feeling or a sentiment uh, or some sort of message. Color works in the same way. We know what red means in this context or that context, and it might be industry specific. It might be age specific, you know? Anything like, you know, light pink is for baby girls and light blue is for baby boys. Like everybody knows that, you know? And so you, you develop an awareness around um, you observe your own culture and become conscious of the things that you're already responding to that are universal in your culture. And then you use them as your tools intentionally. So, and sometimes you make up codes when you make up codes, uh, maybe like, you know, for example, if I'm making a series of, or if I have a bunch of products that I'm showing in posters, right. And I have three types of products. Some of them are hot dogs. Some of them are earbuds, and then some of them are like little baby cacti. You might make a shape or an icon that goes with these. And you don't have to explain that every time you see a, a, one of these hot dogs, there might be a little circle in the corner, mm -hmm. but you might observe <laughs> over the sequence. If you're looking at all the posters as an outsider. You might say, oh, I see what's happening here because your eye is looking for patterns. Um, true, true. every time I see a hot dog, there's a circle. And every time I see a cactus, there's a little square and you might use those shapes elsewhere, 
you know, if you're representing the entire, this is a terrible example, by the way, but no, I'm, you're, I'm really you're doing great. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm giving you a runway. <laughs> um, yeah. And if later you want to talk about all products together, well, what's the obvious first thing you might think of? Well, I'm going to take one square and one circle and then one triangle, whatever represents the, the earbuds. And I'm going to put them together and I'm going to show that they're all here together. Like, I mean, it's really, it's not rocket science. It's just, it takes intention and awareness. That's it. You're right. You know, you don't have to be like super um, clever to be a designer. I think a lot of designers are clever. I think that helps, but I don't think you have to be super clever. I think you have to be self-aware and intentional. Why do you think so many people have a hard time understanding what graphic design is? <laughs> yeah, good question. I know it's a big one. Um, well, okay. So, um, well, when's the first time you heard about graphic design? Because I never really, uh, well, truth, I mean, truth be told, I didn't seek a definition either, but I, True. no one ever explained to me what it was until approximately two years ago <laughs> at the point at which <laughs> at the point at which I was like oh maybe I want to be a graphic designer that was I didn't know what it was before I uh so in my mind graphic design was like digital design yeah that's what I think the common thought is it it means yeah you you use a lot of photoshop <laughs> it's like, exactly you know. yeah people know that people know that designers like Apple and they use Adobe products and they probably wear glasses or something, you know? A lot of black, like wearing a lot of black. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? That's, that's, I mean, what the fuck? That's what I look like. So I can't, sorry, <laughs> sorry to be so difficult. <laughs> sorry to be so typical, but um, I mean, I'm wearing all black right now. <laughs> um, um, but I didn't know what it was. It's not, it's not a career path that I ever thought was like, real or for me in school they tell you you know what it is it's like lumped into art right and what do you know about artists you can't make a career you're going to be starving and eventually you're just going to get a boring job and be some loser somewhere because no one makes it okay like give those dreams up i'm thinking of like red from that 70s show yeah yeah <laughs> it's a sort of like dad character um so there's this like there's this but i think i think that is still pretty relevant today i think a lot of parents um people admire artists and also don't want their children to pursue the arts necessarily. Cause you know what, they want to retire at some point and don't want to be supporting their like 35 year old because they, they're still trying to make it in New York. But I think graphic design, unfortunately, like this idea of it, whatever, uh, however accurate or inaccurate someone, this idea someone might have of it, it gets lumped there somehow. Or you're like, in Silicon Valley kind of like yeah. coding or something. Yeah. People don't know what it is. Um, and I, I certainly didn't. That's why I never pursued it until now. I have so many thoughts. It's like on one level, sometimes I actually think that's a blessing in disguise that no one knows what it is. Cause we can be, <laughs> <laughs> we can kind of be shape shifty. And if you really look at, you know, the, the fullness of the design spectrum under which different studios and different individual designers practice, uh, it can end up taking on a lot of different sort of interpretations, which might be a good thing that it it can adapt to the person handling it. Um, 
I think it actually does become trickier when we try to like pigeonhole it into a professional track, you know? That is, that is the thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's confusing. Graphic design is not confusing. Being a graphic designer is only confusing because of the money parts. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, And it's, it's the money part because if I'm going to pay that, like, where do you, especially in a team context, like, what are your skills? Well, like, it's always, they're always bleeding together. Like one thing, you know, like in it, what's in, the difference between an illustrator and a graphic designer in some workplaces, not much. Exactly. In some workplaces, a graphic designer an emotion designer or an art director. I mean, God, if that wasn't the quest of school is figuring out what the difference between an art director and a designer was. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) that seemed to be a conversation that never ended. It just kept going on and on. And no matter who you asked, everyone had a slightly different answer. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this is like, this is interesting. Is this going to follow me my whole career? (laughs) Um, And in some ways, yes, because every every client approaches with like a different assumption of what you do in the first place. So you, you have that opportunity to say like, can I mold my practice around this client's assumption of what I do? Or can I, you know, present myself in such a way that seems valuable to this particular scenario, (laughs) you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And what it comes down to in the end uh, is like, okay, well, you have to see someone's portfolio. That's the clearest way to, I mean, that's, you know what they do immediately. If you look at their portfolio, obviously, because you're like, okay, I mean, we may not have the same words for all these things, but I, I know I know what you do. I get it. Um, but also, if you're just looking on paper, I think the skills section kind of says everything. <laughs> the skills section is really, it's like, do can you operate these programs? And then let me see what your choices are. And let me look at your portfolio. That's all you need to know. Yeah. Really. Because uh, yeah, the software really comes is is a, is a big deal. I think. I mean, it is. Although I find it so disappointing because I I think, <laughs> I mean, you know, I think like especially when I go back to your how you were beginning to define you know what drives you and really what drives you is communication, connecting dots, language, translation, like all this kind of stuff. Uh, that to me has fucking nothing to do with Illustrator, Photoshop, and, and InDesign. You know, like as a, in terms of an actual skill set, it's like yes, I I know how to work this software, um, but that doesn't mean that I'm a graphic designer. A graphic designer, right. you know, yeah. is somebody that likes yeah. to translate, connect the dots, help people right. orient and understand their world better. And you know what I mean? And I think that can be in so many different ways. And that's why it's such an interesting um, mantle to say I'm a graphic designer, because like, depending on which one you talk to that, that shape shifts. And so you're right. I think there's like, one of the reasons we don't hear about like graphic design until we have like that kind of weird, you know, aha moment is because you're right. Like my assumption was, oh, I think that means they're like, they do something with computers. And it's like, you know, and <laughs> yeah. I was like, <laughs> and I, I it didn't go much further than that for me forever, you know, cause I, um, cause you know, like I'm kind of switching, but like I started off kind of identifying as an artist in my twenties, you know? Right. And I think what I was really 
what was behind that was not that I wanted to necessarily work with a particular medium or even really express anything that greatly. I think what I was starting to, to, to find that really drove my interest as a human was like culture, how things intersect. Um, I actually would say that like the quote unquote artist lifestyle or, or that whole thing that the artist is like on the outside of society trying to look in, I thought right. was really, really interesting. Like those were all the things. So there was almost like an anthropological component for me that was in there that I didn't even realize. And, you know, I loved content and archival stuff, mm -hmm. you know, but it hadn't really emerged yet. Like I was like, I, I'm an artist. Like, and I was like, I guess I can be that because I say that. And I tr yeah. tried a lot of like very traditional mediums. Like I tried to be a painter. I drew a bit. It was like all fine and good, but I was poetry too, right? Poetry. Weren't you writing yeah. tons of you it? Still do. I still do. Yeah. And I'd say like of everything I was doing, being pursuing poetry is probably the most direct. It was poetry and music, I'd say, are the two most direct yeah. links that brought me into graphic design. Because I think what I was doing, what I do in both of those is I, I pull together samples and information and mix it around so that I can, you know, kind of package it and present it in a way that means something or has some yeah. possibility to be interpreted. And I think like, that's where I'm like, that's, again, that's what a graphic designer does. They're just, they're working with symbols and organizing them in such a way that like creates, boom, now you understand like what this is. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Um, so you're working with KGS design. Um, do you, how, so are you still at adult swim? As a freelancer? Yeah. Okay. And you've been freelance the whole time. How is working at, uh, at, you know, you don't have to reveal anything that you're not allowed to reveal, <laughs> but how's that experience going for you compared to, uh, I guess you also take individual clients sometimes. Yeah, I have uh, two sort of um, May uh, longer term. Here, let me let me say this differently. I have another regular client that I have been with since for years now, since like halfway through school, which is a very different animal. It's um, it's a think tank in DC and they work with, I mean, the work is incredibly um, interesting and important in a, a super real, real world sense. And so my work in that scope isn't particularly exciting, but what I'm, the, the, the thing that I'm working with is exciting. You know, the graphics that I make, they're mostly like, um, my main goal is to take, you know, data and make it look attractive mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so it's more absorbable because like the the content is like really hard often like really troubling uh, <laughs> sure. um but but the things that they track for example they research and report on all kinds of things for example like um the international the illicit trade of pangolins mm. and as a as inside to that is um this really interesting animal if you don't know what it is but um also uh um, coronavirus was a thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, learning about pangolins and their possible role in the uh, zoological transmission of the virus from bats to 
potentially pangolins to humans in these wet markets. I mean, like, it's really interesting. The content was super fascinating. I felt like super cool that I got to read these reports before they were released and like get to know the info so that I could then make graphics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll be honest, like, I, I don't feel like I'm flexing myself super creatively and I don't think that they really want me to. I think the readers are more conservative in this regard. Um, but I like being part of that and that, that is fulfilling in a sense. Um, adult swim is a whole different thing. It's entertainment. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like at the core, um, anything that we're doing is purposeful in that same way, but it is just as fulfilling. And I think it's valid. I mean, it's entertainment and I, and I love my creative, the creative aspect of working with adults when because especially this team i need to point out there are a lot of different departments and the one that i have been working in the one i was interning in and now freelance in um is really really great i can see why adult swim has been successful it's unlike it's um i just um the cross-pollination the culture it's all really 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 working for them and i think it shows um I love working. I love the people that I work with. They're very, very supportive. Um, the producer and the art director that I work with the most are like super supportive and really nice laid back people and interesting. And so that makes all the difference, you know? Oh, it absolutely makes all the difference. Um, <clears throat> to pivot just a little bit, I'm happy to ping pong around. Um, you know, Adult Swim is probably one of Atlanta's gems. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, creatively, for sure. Uh, yeah. You know, it. I think it's one of those surprise. I don't know why it's surprising, but I guess because you assume Adult Swim would have been like based somewhere else. <laughs> um, yeah. Then- well, they're based in Burbank, too. You know, like it's um, but I, I have never been to the Burbank studios. And that's where like most of the animation happens. We have a few shows that are animated locally, but we here sort of handle all of the creative surrounding the actual shows. Gotcha. And, gotcha. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So how do you feel uh, living and breathing in Atlanta? I love this city. I really, and I, I say that because uh, I didn't expect to at all. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I never. I don't know if anyone do does. <laughs> it's really weird. <laughs> but I'm speaking very generally, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I ended up here only because of school. That's it. I, I moved here literally a day before first day of school. And, um, and that was our class. My first class was literally with you. And I um I was living off Cheshire right by the school. <laughs> I was living in La Vista. Mm-hmm. Um terrible apartment complex. Please no one lives there. I'm telling you. Management is horrible. Okay. Yeah, you giggled. Usually... You were like Cheshire, La Vista, there was a little giggle. Uh, <laughs> 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 um so Piedmont Heights is um not my favorite part of town. There's like not much soul there. You have to go I mean, obviously if you're living basically on Cheshire Bridge. There's nothing going on there that makes you think like, boy, do I love this place. And our school is basically behind the, a big strip club. So that was like a very Atlanta, like yeah. what I expected. You know? Yeah. And then, and then I lived here a little longer and I moved to Old Forest and now I live 
in Southwest and Sylvan Hills. And so I'm exploring different parts of the cities and, you know, a city. One thing someone told me right before I moved here is that they loved it because it had so many different neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. And speaking of variety, exactly. I feel, like, yeah. I feel like Atlanta really has that. And, I, and I'm from Miami originally. I've lived many years outside of Miami now, but and one thing I really, really adore about Miami is um, in Miami and Atlanta have a lot of like crossover culture and mm. Miami has a lot of variety in all kinds of ways. And I love that. I, I don't want to be in a homogenous community, homogenous, homogenous in, in any way. Mm -hmm. um, I love Atlanta for everything that it has. Um, it's a really pretty city too. I didn't realize that um, before I moved here. Um, I never envisioned myself living in the Southeast. I always wanted to get out. Mm -hmm. um, but here I am. <laughs> I think I'm here to stay. What is fueling that decision to stay? And what do you think? I mean, I love that you mentioned the variety. Um, but, you know, what is it, I guess, culturally and then just maybe also commercially that makes you feel like this is a good place for your practice? I think I like the creative community here. I feel like they're um, more so than other places. I think there's a lot of uh, accessibility. I, there are a lot of homegrown efforts or like small scale or underground um, communities here for all kinds of expressions. I really, I really love that. When I, when I kind of like tapped into that a little bit, um, when I got my first whiff, I was like, oh, 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 there's a lot, there's a lot going on here, and I, that's part of the variety that I'm talking about. How did there's you? A lot of weirdos here too. Yeah, know? I like. We'll talk about weird that. Weird is a good sign. <laughs> Weird's a good sign, and and how did you come across that in Atlanta? I think one thing that I've heard pretty common from people that have visited Atlanta, but, but, you know, I wasn't able to like tour them around, right. They just come in, they're there for like a day or so. I hear, yeah. I hear this sort of common critique that it's like, I don't know, like, where is this or where is this or what is, you know, like sometimes they think it's just a, a certain section of town and kind of boring. So it's like the, the weird opposite. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. How did you, since you're kind of a newbie and not a native, like what yeah. helped you start to connect and what are some of the things culturally specifically that you really like that you think is going to help the city continue to flourish and blossom, you know, as things go forward? Um, I think just spending a little time here and meeting people who are from Atlanta or have been here for a long time. It just time. Basically, the first element was time. Mm -hmm. Um, I, so some people that we, I went to school with are from Atlanta and they showed me certain things. Um, I, uh, a classmate invited me to his show at the bakery one time. And that was the first time I'd been to what is now my neighborhood essentially. Um, and I was like, interesting. I've never been over here. And what the fuck is this place? I didn't know. I was like, what is this exactly? It's just like, what's happening in here? <laughs> <laughs> And um, uh, later, I think moving um, moving away from the school, because my first year, I was like, I lived five minutes away from school, and my whole life was just school, 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 learning more about Atlanta and making friendships um, that had nothing to do with school really helped, too. 
Um, I happened to like move to a place, a really small little apartment complex um, in Old Forth that had a lot of really creative um, tenants. <laughs> and Good. through them, and we all, and I developed some really meaningful friendships there. And um, through them, I learned a little bit more about the film industry in town and about music. So like one of my neighbors was um, an underground DJ and he really exposed me to a lot of um a lot of the music scene that was happening primarily like house and techno and um i fell in love so through that i started exploring networks of all kinds of other arts and you know how it is like there what i found interesting here is you know how it is anytime you move to a new place you meet you you happen um into the middle of like a community where everyone sort of knows everybody there's like a little network yeah you know yeah and you realize they know each other and they know that you start to like kind of learn the networks and if you tap into some of them you can really kind of ride the network and get a lot of exposure to other parts of this network and so I think I did that for a while just kind of tried to go to events and new places and really discovered that I kept seeing the same faces around yeah (laughs) and I that's the feeling of like oh I'm starting to kind of know the city a little bit um not everyone is a total stranger all the time um and that at that point I was like man I really really love it here I think part of that is natural because I felt like um I kind of am starting to have a place here and things are sort of familiar and I had been in such a transient state of life for so many years before moving here. I was really hungry for a new home in a place I would stay for a while Mm. Um, and a community where I wasn't an outsider or a temporary resident. And that's kind of fueling my hunger to stay here. And it's just time of life too. Like I I got married. I have a husband now. (laughs) (laughs) Congrats. Congrats. Yeah. And, um, and he's, he's in a different place in his life kind of like he's older than me but also just age really doesn't have much to do with it he's hungry for a a more permanent place Mm. a stable place too so we're talking about like buying a house soon hopefully and um and he i met him in china and he'd been in this sort of limbo with me for my entire time there and um double the time i was there he'd lived there for twice as long so i think we're both doubling down on like really um getting our roots in which means that i can kind of have more influence and get more out of the place that i live in which is satisfying yeah i was gonna ask i think you're kind of moving in that direction a lot of the things you mentioned are are actually reasons also why i love atlanta um i am a native i lived away from the city um as at parts of my career uh it definitely got a lot out. I was in New York for some years and that was valuable. Um, but I always felt a desire to come back down this way, you know? And I think it's because there does seem to be this certain mixture of things happening in the city that, that to me, for someone that prefers to be more of a self-starter and mm. and have more room to really, really like explore new avenues in design and and other areas i guess too you know that's that's yeah. what i like about it here but i yeah are you feeling that same energy you know 
Yes, yes. We've talked about this before, too, and I think I got a lot of insight through you on this regard because you would travel other places, like other design hubs, basically, and say, good news from abroad. You know, they all want to come here, <laughs> yeah. basically. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, great. <laughs> um, yeah, but, I, you know, the reason people want to come here is because there is space. Mm-hmm. And the pressures of living are, are, there's like, there's a nice um, balance of the size of the community, the amount of space you can still have in this community, accessibility, um, um, let's, I mean, the cost of living is a huge thing, right? Yeah. But you also have like the talent and more talent coming. Like it's not the seeds of talent. It's, there's already a lot that's established here that's, that's growing. And, um, and uh, yeah, for all those reasons. So it's at this really interesting place as a newcomer. I don't know if this is bullshit or not, but this is my, my, (laughs) my perception that if you're, um, if you want to build, so if you want the space to build something, you have the space. Mm -hmm. And if you just want to be around big shots who are interested in building and and you would prefer to kind of like help support them which is that's that's a valid thing to do um then you can do that and the big shots want to come here because you know they're they're done with new york city or whatever the case may be you know yeah um if you want to start a family and still um do something really big you can do that here Um, what are some of the ways in your humble opinion that you would like to see design evolve here and what kind of things would follow that culturally? Hmm. Uh, I want design to um, be more experimental here. Define that a little bit for people. Uh, more more challenging. I think uh, design is firmly rooted in this community is firmly rooted in um, supporting uh, purely commercial mm. developments like restaurants, you know? Yeah, yeah. If you're a designer in Atlanta, uh, it's very likely that you do design, you do branding for restaurants, which is fine. I mean, that's fine. It's necessary. It's great. I don't think we should stop doing that. I'm just saying that um, it would be cool if there were um more uh, other areas of the community um with the support of this talent you know um like there's one project i wasn't in this class with you but it, uh, i know that one of my friends was or so many all my friends were <laughs> but the- <laughs> Oh, I don't think they knew i was a professor <laughs> katie was one of my students <laughs> yeah there we go cats out of the bag <laughs> Um, uh, but there's a project like to redesign Marta or something like this. And right. I was like, you know, it would be cool if we actually did this. <laughs> yeah. Um, or if there was some sort of like public discourse. Um, Definitely. A more like dem- democratic process around this. I think so. <laughs> I like what you're doing with practice. And I and I know so that's one reason I'm enthusiastic to, to talk now, even if I didn't know you as a friend. But um, I think there's a there's a necessity for this nonprofit hmm. and sort of an expansion of opportunities like this here. Um, I think, uh, I think there's an education required in the city yeah. through exposure. Yes. Uh, yeah. I think we just need to bring in more examples of graphic design and, and the places it can live and 
who can be involved. And I think that we can do that. And I think that we're, we're going to be on the track to do that. I think there's, I don't think there are um, the obstacles you might find in other communities here um, against that, like it obstructing the momentum in that direction. So absolutely. Um, yeah, it's funny because that class I taught, I think, was almost a little bit of like a pre-thesis for practice makes practice, you know, where it was yeah. thinking about ways to sort of generate projects that can help um, push a more rounded democratic involvement in how design makes its way into Atlanta, you know, makes its way into the city. Right. Um, because I think you hit the nail on the head as well, that like part of the thing is just a sort of a lack of exposure, a lack of understanding and education. So Mm -hmm. a lot of ways you can help that is by leading by example, just go ahead and start doing it and people start to pick up on it slowly and surely. And, you know, you can also back that up with like giving them some resources or, you know, just links to like other bits of culture that that have like kind of a more diverse, robust um, design scene. Um, Yeah. You know, and, you know, you know what it is, too? It's um, I think I reframed it in my head a little bit just now. It's like, you know what I really want is I don't want a bigger I don't want the a design scene to grow. What I want is to see more intentional design. Yes. So like it would be really awesome if you went to the dentist and their advertising or whatever looked super dope and not just what you expect it to look like. I think mm. I think there mm. needs to be a shift in understanding of where design and who it's meant for. Yeah. I don't want to see a bigger exclusive design community. I want to see more everyday mundane things designed well i think exactly and i think that um um that's kind of what i mean by robust is is that like all the little bits and pieces get that attention and that love and there's more so like it's not the numbers it's just that the diversity of thought is broader in how those things are solved so you, you right. know, I, I part of it for me, too, is like I'd like to almost see Atlanta become <clears throat> a safer place for smaller independent design operations to really have a voice as well up against the, you know, the corporate giants that are here, too. And like the, the blend yeah. of both, I think, would be really amazing. And I think you're right. It's maybe been too weighted a little bit too heavily on the corporate side and there's sort of, unless it's a restaurant, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, eh. Well, people expect restaurants to have cool branding. It's like, you know, and I think um, generally people uh, expect to see designed and what they mean by designed is in, they hired a designer. It was intentionally designed. That's like a cool cherry on the top that some industries kind of get, or it's expected in some industries or some parts of your community, but it's not, not everyone, you know, cause you might say like, why didn't you, why are these, why do these flyers look like crap? Right. And you're like, well, I don't have money to hire a designer. Okay. That's, that's valid. Yeah. Because of the way the money exchange works right mm-hmm. around this business. Um, so it's valid, but it'd be cool if we had a, a different setup where like you're going to make a flyer that means you're whoever's doing it is the designer 
Yeah. That's it. If you're going to have a flyer, it means it's designed well. Otherwise, why did you put the effort, you know, like an expectation? Yeah. An expectation. It's, it's this understanding of like, what is design? Even if you don't know what you're doing and you're making something, you unintentionally design, are you designed blindly or are you designed by default? But it wasn't an, you didn't take much of an like active intentional role. It's a shift to the intentional. Yeah. I like that. I, again, I kind of support that by saying like, the way a design culture becomes robust is not necessarily by increasing like the commercial viability of design only. It's about up it up. Right, right. Yeah, it's about upping the the expectations and kind of the the entire community that like design needs to be treated well, regardless of who's doing it and regardless of how much money or not is being doled out for it, it still is important right. to understand you're right. Like if you're going to put a flyer out, well, it needs to be intentional because we, yeah. we live in a city where like just a, a thoughtless flyer is not going to cut it. Like people won't come to your event if it's just crap, right. crap, you know what I mean? Right. Right. Which right. I think by default would actually help up the, the commercial value in design in general like i think you could ma- oh, yeah. make a living as a flyer flyer designer here in a very experimental practice because that standard mm-hmm. is collectively expected from the whole community it's like oh the- right so in a way it's a bit of a it's trying to get to a point where there's more value on design in atlanta you know yes yeah. yes if people could see design in the same way, you know, when your mom or dad or grandma, whoever it was, or like your coach or something was like, there's a point in your life when someone told you that when someone's speaking to you, you should look them in the eyes and you should be present and you, sh- you should give a firm handshake. And the way you dress yourself is important because you're reflecting your value, you know, like, like all these things are super important. It's the same, it's the same way, like graphic design. I mean, that flyer is you showing up looking like a scumbag, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And you might be a super, you might be a super cool person and have a lot to add, but when you when you're dressed the way you're dressed, like and nobody knows anything else about you, then they're probably not going to be your fan, you know, <laughs> or they're going to make an assumption about what's inside based on your exterior, you know. And we're de- we're dealing with a visual medium, so it's um, it is. It's like, uh, would you put that flyer out? I mean. <laughs> Right. No, I think that I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I don't know if I'd actually do that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that's really rewarding. I mean, do you feel that you have come into contact with other um, designers that are really happy to be choosing to stay in Atlanta as well? Oh, let me think about that. Uh, I think so. I mean, you're one of them. True. So yeah. True. Yeah. And we, yeah, we, we surround ourselves with people who are like-minded. So, yeah. But I think, um, I think a lot of, if you're young in your career and you're looking to, and, you know, and you've just gotten out of portfolio school, you're looking to some cities that have a certain reputation. And I don't, Atlanta isn't um, one of those cities. Right. Um, So it depends on what you're looking for, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I've, I've also 
come in contact with a lot of designers who don't necessarily, they're not shitting on Atlanta, but they're just saying like, I'm looking for something a little bigger. Yeah. And at first I was too, you know, and I think there are different reasons to want that different motivations as well. But um, I don't know. Um, I think it's probably balanced. I think there are a lot of like really great designers living here who, who know the value and are excited. And I think a lot of people who don't live, a lot of designers who don't live here have started to recognize like, oh, this could be a really awesome spot um, yeah. for me. Yeah. And I, you know, it's cool because I, I really welcome this idea also that Atlanta could embrace people that are non-native just as much as native, because I think that that yeah. mixture helps you move towards being a world-class city, you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah. it does not need to be so homogeneous of like, oh, I was born and raised here and that's it. I'm the only, <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's very small town men mentality. So, yeah. um, yeah, well, cool, cool. Um, I was kind of also curious, um, in your practice, how do you maintain joy? And are there any roadblocks to um, accessing joy in your practice? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so how do I maintain joy? Well, uh, 3 p.m. brings me a lot of joy. Yeah. And I know before I was like, that's not, that's not my practice, but it kind of is. Um, hmm. That's, that is the reason why Alex and I do it. Um, Cause it's fun. And um, so collaborations in general, give me a lot of joy. I get that through my freelance um, with some of my clients, which I really like. Um, uh, let's see. I, um, uh, okay, especially like the work that I do with Adult Swim is often has a silly element, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and that's really, I know, I think being silly is super, <laughs> sometimes is like really important. Yeah. Um, well, people so connect being, to it. Yeah. Uh-huh. And being serious because it's my job and I want to do a good job and I, I want to get paid and because um, for all the reasons why you want to take your job seriously, right? Yeah or a task, right? So I take the responsibility seriously. So it's like a combination of taking this thing that's very serious that in essence is really not serious. Mm -hmm. um, that's really, that I get so much out of that. Um, and uh, I think those I think those are the main things. And I like having really good rapport with the people that you work with mm -hmm. and like maintaining like fun conversations during work. You know, if I'm talking about 3 p.m. or if I'm talking with a client, I establish a relationship with most people that I work with where I'm comfortable saying ridiculous things. Um, and they are too. <laughs> and I, that's important to me. <laughs> Definitely. Um, the roadblocks, like I said before, working from home is really hard for me. Okay. It's got its pros and its cons. Generally, not taking care of myself uh, at any at anywhere else in my life. Like everything's connected, right? So going back to me contradicting myself earlier, my personal and my professional are one and the same essentially in most ways. And so if I am not getting enough sleep, obviously if I'm not exercising enough, all the all the obvious things like huge roadblock, huge roadblock to my joy. That I am not silly those days. I'm like pretty serious. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Personal life obstacles, managing those um, and finding out when 
everything needs to bleed together and you carry the emotion from one part of your life over to the next. And when you need to compartmentalize, <laughs> definitely, you know, it's all in the end, just a poor balance is an obstacle and good balance is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's, that's sort of uh, affects everybody. Um, I'm curious, this is a, a big question. How do you feel like your work contributes to a larger national dialogue? Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> um, let's see. <sighs> for this, you know, I pondered this for a long time. Um, I don't know if I am, that's the honest truth. In a sense I am, and in a sense, I really don't think I'm contributing to a national dialogue. There's certain things I engage with um, in a very surface level professionally that are national, like in terms of like entertainment or or this, uh, the think tank, you know, that I feel, I feel like I'm really contributing an essential role to a really important project. Um, on a national and international scale. So I, I find in that way that I'm a good supporting cast member there. But um, I don't know, nationally, uh, you know, considering all the current events, this is sort of where I am right now. I think that um, during quarantine, I really started like focusing in and sort of hibernating within myself a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of what I need at this point. And I'm not really ready to speak outwardly or publicly too much right now. And the reason is not a desire not to be engaged. I am, but I'm like processing personally. And I sort of like, as a, as a person outside of my practice, just generally, I've always had this sort of stance with the mainstream public that was like, it used, to, it used to cast me into like months long depressions when I was a teenager. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and a child too, honestly. Yeah. Like it's, 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 it's a big thing for me, but like I have this sort of stance that's like, all right, we're looking at a skyscraper that we all built together and we can see it has a lot of problems and we're wondering if it might fall soon. And like big problems, like kind of profound things. We we need to figure out some sort of solution because this is bad, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. And we're patching and we're like polishing rebar or whatever. And, <laughs> not possible, but okay, yeah, we're like polishing, we're like adding buttresses, we're trying to make it work, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how do we support this? And we keep staring at this building and the whole time, like I'm standing off to the side, quiet, and I'm thinking, you guys, you gotta stop polishing. It's not helping anything. We should have just like used entirely different materials when we made this. Or in fact, maybe we should just made like some sort of floating cloud or something. But this is the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. So polish all you want, but you're kind of missing the point. And I realize that the stance is pretty off-putting and I I might be offending some people now too, but I'm just trying to be transparent about like my default perspective. I don't know why I'm like this, but I I am. I'm I'm always sort of like living out in outer space. feeling feeling connected but also wanting to be very far away at the same time mm-hmm. and, and the biggest problem with the stance for me is that i don't have a follow-up so i'm saying like all right ditch this and then it's gonna fall and that's okay that's not okay you can't let the building fall but i don't know what to do because the building is fucked like we should have been doing something else entirely and i don't know what the next step is and so considering what's going on in our nation right now, all the dialogues that are happening, I'm having a similar reaction where I'm like, I don't know what to say yet because I want to say something that's meaningful and not, 
I am not, um, my go-to is not to, when I sense a problem, I like meditate quietly for a very long time until I know what to say because it feels like it's actually truly valuable. And until then, I might seem like an absent party or I might seem like I'm in denial or just sort of like trying to escape. I don't, I'm not trying to do that. Maybe I am in ways. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just like really trying to meditate and figure out what is an actual solution because just saying like, yeah, that sucks too. Or like, we really should, like, I'm not ever going to get in anyone's bandwagon. That's also like a, uh, like (laughs) a thing that I do. Like I really, even if the bandwagon's great, like because it's a bandwagon, I'm not getting in it. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. So these are all like the motions in me right now. And in terms of like what I'm doing to contribute, I don't, I don't know. Mm. I don't know what I'm doing right now. Maybe I'm not, maybe I am and I'm not saying it either. Um, but that's my answer. It's a super muddy answer, but no, that's lovely. And also quite honest. And you know, the other thing is like, uh, by asking that question, I'm not, um, trying to say that everyone's work must contribute to a larger national dialogue. Uh, (laughs) you know, it's kind of that same question of like, how can being a designer make the world a better place? And I think there's a lot of different opinions on that. (laughs) And, um, sometimes, you know, honestly, I think it's okay to be completely, you don't need any justification for why you, are a designer, what you're doing with your practice, like if it brings you joy in its own, in its own right, I think that's probably good enough because if you're joyful, that is a direct benefit to everybody else. That's a direct benefit to the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? I do. I, yeah, I believe that. I try, I think in a larger sense, like I try to be a good person. I try to live my life well. I try to be there for people. I try to connect with people. I try to take my life very seriously in all the ways that it impacts. Um, I think about things a lot. I think just trying to do the best and be the most present in your own life and, and make choices that come out of that is a lifelong pursuit. And it's, um, it's a very dedicated pursuit. And I think it's probably the most important way that you can help humanity work, you know, move forward, I think. So in that sense, I, you know, I'm kind of more focused on, on that. Amazing. I think um, that's a wonderful thing to kind of contemplate. We're getting sort of close to the end of time. Um, Is there anything you'd want uh, to share with our listeners that we didn't cover today or or any closing thoughts that you'd like to share about what's going on with Katie? Mm. Um. No, I don't think so. <laughs> cool. You probably already said it all. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I think I think I've revealed a lot. <laughs> definitely, definitely, yeah. Um, well, uh, thank you so much for taking some time on this uh, Saturday afternoon to hang out and chat. Um, this is Katie Gwynn Saxon. Uh, she is a des- uh, well she runs kgs design is her primary practice but also is one part of 3 p.m uh which is a collaborative practice with alex kirsch both are atlanta based emerging designers great stuff very fun experimental work um and i'm christopher knowles i'm the executive director of practice makes practice um thank you everyone for tuning in we'll uh catch you next time